Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 33 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guests today are one of the fastest rising tag teams in pro wrestling, and they had a great match recently with the Briscoes. They represent Shane Taylor Promotions. It's Moses and Khan, the Soldiers of Savagery. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, before we go any further with this thing, I, you know, I got to do full disclosure. And that is that at one time, people may have a hard time believing this, but at one time, for a very short period of time, I was your manager in Maryland Championship Wrestling, but <laughs> things didn't end well between us. And I just want to say right here in front of everybody, I forgive you for giving me the doomsday device on two different occasions on MCW shows last year, because honestly, I probably had it coming. <laughs> I completely forgot about that until this moment right now. <laughs> All is forgiven. All is forgiven. Well, I haven't forgotten about it. I'll tell you that, you know, I actually, on the, the first one was fine, but you know, on, I should have quit while I was ahead, but on the second <laughs> one, I don't know if I ever even told you guys this, but I concussed myself. And oh, man. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, you guys were great. You took care of me. It was, it was stupid. You know, my stupid fault. I didn't tuck my chin the way I should have. And my head bounced off the mat. And, uh, you know, that's why I should probably stay uh, outside the ring instead of in it. <laughs> that was the one I dropped up. Ironically, that's the best doomsday we ever did. Really? Yeah. To this day. To this day, that was the best one that we've ever done. To this day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's my claim to fame. I'm glad I could uh, I, I could be part of that with you. Uh, but, yeah, that was it for me. I think I'm retired from uh, Doomsday Devices. But I want to talk to you guys about, uh, man, you guys, so so exciting with what you guys have been doing lately. I know that you were on the last two sets of ROH TV tapings. So the first question I'm going to ask both of you is, what was the experience like being in the bubble? Uh, yeah. For me, the first time, the first like quarantine, I was kind of losing my mind a little bit within the first two days. I was still working my shoot job and like trying to maintain the nervousness that I had for the six man match that we had and then also do work projects at the same time was just really stressful to me. Uh, but the second time was fantastic. I took the whole week off of work, watched movies all week, just hung out of the room, ordered Uber Eats. And it was a much better like scheduled and produced uh, bubble so that time around was so much better it was a lot more fun Moses what about you yeah pretty much the same like the first time I was working my shoot while I was in the bubble um during the day and then had my time to work out in the room and just be to myself uh the second time around I took off as well and just relaxed for the week um the first time knowing that uh we had to work the Briscoes and EC3 
that I think that's probably that was our biggest match to date at that time. Yep. Um, especially with everyone who was in that match. I mean, if you include Shane, those are four well-known guys, and here we are going in the ring with four guys who are known, and we knew that we had to step step our game up. Um, and I think that the outcome of that was pretty good. And then to find out going into the second time, though, it's just us versus the Briscoes. Now it's like, you know, while we were the first time, you know, we had Shane in our corner. This time it was all, all eyes on us, you know. Um, and when you get an opportunity like that, <laughs> you don't want to – you don't want to the bed when you do get that opportunity. And I felt like we – we did what we need to do with the opportunity. Of course, we lost, but I felt like – the rest that I had that week, all the time that I had to just get my mind right for that match, it really helped. So I, the, to me, the bubble experiences were both good, although the second time my bed broke. So I'm hoping when we go back in, that's not the case. All right. I got to ask about that. The bed, I mean, were you doing anything crazy on that? Were you, were you doing a frog splash no, on man, the bed? I what mean, happened? Listen, I'm 300 pounds, so <laughs> I can only imagine – how how many 300 pounders are going to these hotels and so one of the uh, legs underwear that just gave out <laughs> okay well hopefully you weren't harmed hopefully you you, you didn't take no, too bad of a bump i'm good i'm good okay <laughs> not at all <laughs> well you mentioned that six-man tag and uh and the star power in there i mean it was ec3s talk about you know pressure on you guys right ec3's first match in the company um, yeah, you're in there with, you know, the greatest ROH tag team of all time. One of the greatest, uh, in the, in the history of the business, I think it's fair to say with their longevity, the Briscoes. Um, and then of course, Shane Taylor, who's, who's turned into a top guy. So, I mean, surrounded by all this talent. Um, but I will say this, I'll give you guys this compliment. You didn't seem like you didn't belong. So, um, did it feel that way to you guys? Like, Hey, we, you know, we, we belong in, we, we belong here. Yeah, I think, um, like, it was – well, okay, that was our first match since COVID. Right. So, you're talking about our very first match since COVID, so we haven't been wrestling for five, six months. And our first match match back is with four of the top guys in the business. <laughs> so, that was, that was already a little nerve-wracking. But, I mean – Literally the same the same thing I take from the the same time we worked in Ring of Honor. Our very first match was a dark match against uh, uh, the bouncers. And before we walked out on stage, we were both nervous. But afterwards, we both like talked to each other. We was like, "Yo, the second uh, the music hit, and we stepped on the stage. I wasn't nervous anymore. It was just time to go to work." And so to me, it was the same way. Like I was nervous up until the music hit and we walked out. I don't, and I think that's just because it's time uh, my character turned on, and then I'm I'm all ball game, like I'm locked in and focused. Uh, same experience for me too. Definitely nervous before getting in there. Music hits, but then once we were standing in the ring with them, I think to myself, like we're meant to be here. They didn't just sign us because we weren't good. Like we are meant to be here. They signed us because they believe in us, and they believe in us to hold our own weight and showcase what we can do while we were in them, that six man. And we did. And, like, it was a ton of fun after the match. It was great. Everyone's super cool. But I'm like, nah, this is, this is our moment. We're taking our moment. We're here to show ROH. We're here to show the fans that we belong and we're going to be a force here. Agreed. With uh, no fans in the, in the building. Now, I know, obviously, you guys come from the independent scene. 
um, which are smaller buildings, but you know, Hey, as we all know, those of us in MCW, um, it's not like there's 50 people in the building. Like you can cram a lot of people in that MCW arena uh, for an indie mm-hmm. show. Uh, but walking out with an empty arena, no fans, did that help the nerves at all? Or was it not a factor? And was it, was it bizarre? Because obviously what, what we get, what we all do, what you all do, not me, um, is, you know, get rea- you want reactions from the crowd. And a lot of times you play to the crowd. So what was it like in that environment? I wouldn't say it was bizarre at all. I kind of actually felt really comfortable in that space, especially coming from the ROH dojo where we were asked to put on like five-star caliber matches in front of our peers who've seen a ton of wrestling who barely applaud as it, like, as it is. You're kind of programmed to wrestle that way. Um, it was cool to see the atmosphere. I wish there was a crowd just because we were such high energy. It was, it was a brawl. It was a fight. But, like, I, I was kind of used to that. We were just – we knew that we had to be a little bit more vocal, um, a little bit more physical, which we like. I like hitting people hard and getting hit hard. So it was nothing different for me. Yeah, I agree with uh, what my partner says. It, um, when you're training for wrestling, the only people that are watching are trying to learn while you're trying to learn. So you're not getting a reaction. So in that aspect, wrestlers should be used to no, no fans, no crowds. But the thing is, in your mind, you're thinking of you, – you might be thinking of them, but at the same time, it's like this isn't our first time with no fans. Do we miss them? I, absolutely. But the job, can still be, the job can still get done right now while we can't have them. You mentioned that that six-man match was your first in like uh, six months. Were you able to get any ring time at all in between, uh, you know, that six-month period, whether it was the dojo or training center at all? I mean, had you been in a ring at all? We have. Uh, fortunately, MCW was just right down the road from both of us. So we were able to go there on Tuesdays and Thursdays and get our wind up. I think that was like my biggest concern was getting blown up and not taking a bump that long sucks. So <laughs> as long as we were going there, not only like helping coach the new students, but just getting ourselves physically ready and, and feeling out the ropes, feeling out the ring, getting that agility back. Uh, we were, I think we were pretty prepared in that sense. I agree. I totally agree. What was it like um, in that tag match, the, the two-on-two match with the Briscoes? I mean, like, like I said earlier, we're talking about obviously the greatest tag team in Ring of Honor history and arguably, well, I don't even know if arguably, I mean, I think you can say definitively, they are one of the most successful tag teams uh, of all time. Uh, going in the ring with those guys, you had already had the experience, like you said, in the six-man, but now it's just the four of you in there. Um, what was that experience like actually being in there where it was just the two of you and the two of them? Um, I had a couple of feelings. Uh, I was grateful because um, you go from watching these guys on TV and these guys doing something that you want to do to now standing across the ring from them. Um, and you're no longer a fan. You're an opponent. Um then my other feeling was it's the briscoes <laughs> like <laughs> everybody just doesn't get a chance to get in the ring with them but we got the opportunity this is our second chance and now it's just us versus them um and i felt like we went into it like we're not backing down 
So whatever you guys throw out, we're bringing it right back to you. And I feel like we got that accomplished mm-hmm. Definitely. in that match. I know everyone is, is, uh, is always their own worst critic, but if I could ask you guys to kind of step out of yourselves a little bit and look back, uh, I'll tell you this, as, as someone, as a fan watching the match, I thought it was a great match. I thought, again, I thought you guys looked like you weren't, um, like the, the, the moment wasn't too big for you or, you know, it was a mismatch. It didn't look, didn't look like that at all. What did it feel like to you when it was all said and done? Did, were you satisfied with it? How would you assess your performance? I have a really hard time with all of our matches and looking, I have a hard time looking at our matches like, oh, that was good. I'm constantly picking stuff apart. Um, so I think it took some people's feedback and be like, no, that was really solid. I'm looking like at even like YouTube comments, but no, they, they held their own and they stood up with them. Me, I think there was like a few things I wish I could have changed, but for the moment and for what we accomplished and being able to stand toe to toe with two legends in the game, I kind of have to just be like, be humble and be like, no, that was, that was good. That was, that was a solid match. And this isn't going to be the only time we wrestle these two guys. Hopefully we're going to have, 20, 50 more battles with them so we can just keep amping this up. This is just the ground level to me. I walked away from it with the feeling of they haven't seen the last of us and they can expect matches like that but to be wilder than what they got. Um, I've said it before in other podcasts, like people just haven't seen how extreme and how turned up SOS really can be mm-hmm. and I feel like going into this one we paced them out they set the bar we met them there moving forward we'll set the bar and push them to meet us where we are I like that I like, I like that I like that confidence um let me pull back the curtain a little bit uh did you get any feedback from uh from Jay and Mark themselves after the match I don't remember if they gave us any feedback. I think we were just we were pretty cool with those guys. So after the match, it was just like dapping up and <laughs> so much yeah. fun. Like that was awesome. Let's do that again. We were just yeah. high off that energy. Like that was so much fun. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't. We never like there wasn't a moment of oh I wish we could have did this or we shouldn't have did that. It was that was fun. Let's do it again. Let me ask you guys uh, about outside the ring and uh, and and your work on the mic. Um, I was I was really impressed with the the preview package that was done, where you got to talk before the match, and the Briscoes got to talk, you know, the 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 sizzle reel basically to set up the match. Um, do you guys feel like I think you've just in my opinion, having seen you guys in MCW, I think you've come a long way in that regard. Um, in addition to obviously developing in the ring. How do you guys feel about it? Do you feel like you're more comfortable on the mic, um, that you're finding your voice? Like where, where do you think you stand as far as that goes? I definitely think so. And it's not, it's not like I've ever been afraid to speak. I'm just pretty soft-spoken as it is. Unless I have, like, a motive or, I guess, some intensity or aggression behind me, I just, I'm soft-spoken by nature. I do feel for that sizzle reel, that's the best thing that we've done so far, especially looking back at our earlier problems at MCW. I'm like, geez, this is embarrassing. This is on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but we've come such a long way. And I remember even some of the boys were behind us as we were filming that. And they were like, 
that was the best promo of the day. Wow. Like we're, we're really here to show people that we're setting the bar. We're here to stay. We're really here to prove a point that the SOS is going to be one of the best tag teams of all time. Like, period. That's how I, that's how I feel. I'm that confident in us. I agree. Um, thinking back to, like, MCW when we started, we didn't even know what tag team wrestling was. Mm-hmm. So not only did we have to – we learned tag team wrestling together, we had to learn how to do promos together. And, you know, until you get chemistry, it's going to be botchy because one guy likes to do one thing, another guy likes to do the other. But when you continuously practice, you continuously practice at the dojo before we did a match, they made us cut promos every single day. And, you know, sometimes you get, man, can we just do the match and go on? But like, no, like <laughs> – there's a point. And I mean, it's starting to show now, like we've not only had to learn how to work together in the ring, but that chemistry also needs to translate when it's time to do a promo. And now we're, we've gelled to the point where we know where to weave in and out in, in a promo where I can pick up immediately where he drops off and same vice versa. And it's just like, I know when to almost pace it to where like, I know when I can turn it up, he'll meet me where I'm at and vice versa. So it just, it took time to get there, but now that we're there, we're so unique. And I think that's another thing, like people aren't doing what we're doing right now, which I'm proud of because the whole thing in wrestling is you have to do something that stands out. Okay, bet. We've checked that box. And now we're going to keep pushing this until it's time to check another box in that arena. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think it's, it's important. Like you said, uh, you know, when you're a tag team, and you're put together as a team. It's not like you guys were lifelong friends or anything like that. Um, you're not brothers. You know, you were put together as two individuals to become a team. So, yeah, it, it, it takes time to develop the chemistry, not only in the ring, but as you said, on the microphone when you're, when you're doing promos. Um, but you can see, I think, really, you guys have come a long way in a short time. I think that's what people have to understand, too, is you guys haven't been doing this that long. Mm-hmm. I mean, cool. how long has – Moses, you started a little bit before – uh, con, right? I mean, you started a little bit before, but neither one of you have been have been in this that long, correct? Correct. I started in June 2015, and con started at MCW in uh, January 2017. Okay, so yeah, again, that, that's a you know from from those humble beginnings, you know, to mm-hmm. Ring of Honor Television working the Briscoes, and that's a that's a long way in a short time. So. You got, I mean, that is definitely a testament to you guys, to your work ethic, to your talent, to all those things. And obviously, that's why Shane Taylor saw something in you guys, uh, made you part of Shane Taylor Promotions. So let's talk about that. What what is it like being associated with a guy like Shane? It's like Big Brother, you know. Um, We when we talk with. Shane, it's not he's talking down to us. It's he let us know from day one that it's not a dictatorship, that this is a group and everybody has equal minds and he's open to everything that we have to say. And so, like, we can talk to him about a match and how we look at it. And then he'd be like, okay, I see that, but think about it like this. And then now we get his mindset of how he sees him, like, oh, you know what? That makes sense. Why would we do it like this when we can do it that way? And it makes a lot more sense than what we were going to do. Um, but it's also like success. Um, he has preached that like my whole goal was to put everybody in a position of success. And to this day, he's as 
that has happened. Yep. Uh, since since we've joined, we have been in positions of success. Um, and he preaches that, and he preaches unity amongst us, and he preaches how we can expand and still achieve success together. Um, and that's been one of the best things that I can say that, like, since joining that we have seen. Yep. Agreed. And he's just so ambitious, and he's about that action. I take that from Marshall yeah. Lynch, like, he says that he's going to do something or help provide us opportunities, it. and he does it. Like, we still have yeah. six-man title opportunities down the line. Like, right. he has stuff that, like, we've been busting our ass to get here, but also he's helping us get those opportunities. Like, hey, office, look at these two right here. They're hungry. They're ready to go. Right. And, like, in this business, nothing is guaranteed, nothing is promised. But he has been one of those people who, when he says he's going to do something, he does it. Mm-hmm. He has not shown us otherwise. And that's something that I can truly respect for, about him. Same here. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think with Shane, you know, the old cliche, he, he means what he says. He says what he means. And I think you can, uh, you know, his word is bond. And then any other cliche I can throw out there, but they're all true when it comes to Shane. You know, I had Shane on the podcast uh, several weeks ago, and um, he talked about Shane Taylor promotions and, you know, what really goes into it, that there's, there really is a mission statement um, with STP um, that goes beyond just wrestling. I know he really is seeing a bigger picture as far as like a message that he wants to send out there. Um, Can you guys just talk about that a little bit about the big picture for what you guys all represent with Shane Taylor promotions, people you're trying to reach and what you're trying to accomplish beyond just winning wrestling matches and, and, you know, hopefully winning titles. I think one thing that goes along with that, that Moses and I have actually experienced while we were at MCW was just the impact that we had on specifically like young black kids. Right. And like reaching out to them when we were at the merch tables, talking to them, they're just, they're looking at us like we're their superheroes. And Mm -hmm. that impact of that and people reaching back to us on social media, like how we really, it's crazy to think about like, but you've changed people's lives in a sense. And I know how that feels being growing up and like getting into design on the outside of wrestling, but like, seeing that impact that we can have on people outside of this, I think that that's just going to transcend so many things and open up so many doors for us and people outside of wrestling. I, I totally agree. The, one of the reasons that I wanted to get into wrestling was because I wanted to personally be a guy who, hey, young kids watching wrestling and aspiring to be wrestlers, you can get into this business and not be looked at as, oh, he's going to be the song and dance character. You can do this business, be successful, but be taken seriously. Um, And that is something that like, that Shane's mindset, like, no, they're going to take us seriously. They took the Bullet Club seriously. They took the kingdom seriously. They can take us seriously just as much as they did those groups. And there shouldn't be no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We have a very unique set of talent. It's been shown. And so we're here to get the respect that all these other groups have gotten. What, what I really like about uh, what Shane's doing, what you guys are doing with Shane Taylor Promotions is in pro wrestling, we like to divide people into faces and heels. And mm-hmm. I've, I've always said, I'm a big proponent of that. It's, it's been the foundation of the business for years and years and years. And it's a proven formula that works. But in 2020, I think there's, uh, you know, everything has to evolve. And while I still believe there need to be good guys and bad guys, 
that you also have to have some realism. And, and, and I think STP is a great example. And I've had this conversation with Shane. There, you guys are hard to categorize because I think there are some people out there that will look at you as heels. And I think there are other people that will look at you guys as inspirational. And they're the guys that uh, you're the guys they'll want to root for. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's really a good thing. Is that how you, I mean, how do you guys see it? I think we've felt that way since MCW, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, I, I remember, like, our coach, Arjo, was telling us, like, you're just too cool to hate. Right. <laughs> like, you guys have, as long as you have that look, you have that energy that people are just gravitated towards you, and they run a root for you. Regardless of what you're doing in the ring, if you're beating someone up, like, they're going to root for you. You just have that appeal. People are drawn to you, too, to our two, like, polarizing individuals. Agreed. And then, like, in life, like, even outside of wrestling, you're not going to please everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's not going to like you. And in fact, if everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. Because you do need opposition. That's how you get better. So the way we look at, hey, if you're for us, cool. If you're not, cool. That's right. your opinion. But if you step to our face, you will get punched in the mouth. So... That's on you. You you choose how you want this to go down. Makes sense to me. And uh, you know, hey, you've dropped me on my head, so I'm not gonna. You know, I, I'm I'm on your side, man. I, I I'm down with SOS. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more with Moses and Khan SOS right after this. Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. ROH TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH TV delivers. Valiant Saint Braves, take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag WatchROH Watch Party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guests are the Soldiers of Savagery, SOS, Moses, and Khan. I want to go back to the uh, to the very beginning with you guys. Um, you know, I've, like, I've known you guys for a couple years now, but I don't really know a lot about your backgrounds, even though we've, we've worked together. Uh, were you guys both wrestling fans growing up? I was. I got into wrestling around 1999, 2000. Um, I remember, only thing I really remember from that time, though, was watching the Hardy Boys. And, like, right when Rey Mysterio debuted, I think, in 2001. And then after that, I was obsessed. Obsessed to the point of making my own collages and framing them. Getting DVD, like, not DVDs, VHS tapes and recording on SmackDown every week. Begging to watch pay-per-views. <laughs> every single day, I watched wrestling. I loved wrestling. And I even ended up getting a trampoline to recreate the backyard trampling wrestling like Jeff and Matt Hardy did. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Moses, how about you? Yeah, same here. I uh, I was a huge wrestling fan. Um, I got into wrestling around like 98, 97, whenever the, the, the thick of the Monday Night War started. Um, yep. It started with WCW. Um, and gotten to see the NWO at that time, and they had the NWO Wolfpack. I thought that was the coolest thing that I had ever seen in my life. Um, Kevin Nash, Sting, like those guys, Conan. I was like, man, this is awesome. 
And then my brother was like, hey, you know, there's another one, right? And I was like, another what? This is awesome. I don't want to see anything else. And he was like, it's, it's WWF at the time. Um, and he flipped over, and the first guy I saw was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I was like, how can I watch both of these at the same exact time? <laughs> uh, and I, the, my obsession with wrestling got so bad, like I would beg my mom to buy me the, the wrestling CDs with all the guys' interest musics, and I would just blast the interest music on my stereo and walk through the threshold like I was coming out the curtain <laughs> um, to every song. <laughs> every single day I would do that. So you guys grew up at a good, at a really cool time when you had, uh, you know, wrestling on in prime time and you had entrance music and pyro and, uh, you know, all that cool stuff. I'm an old man, right? So when I grew up, there was none of that. I mean, wrestling used to come on on Saturday afternoons on a, UA, a grainy UHF channel. There was no entrance music. There was no pomp and circumstance. So I missed out on all there, there was no There were no toys and merchandise and all that stuff. I would love to have had that stuff when I was a kid. So, you know, I can only imagine if I was growing up in the 90s like you guys were, I'm, you know, how mesmerized I would have been uh, the same way, the same way both of you were. Uh, so, so when, you know, obviously a lot of us grow up as fans, but most of us don't end up pursuing it as a career. When did you guys decide realistically? Um, you know, I'm not talking about as a kid saying, hey, I want to grow up to be a wrestler one day. When did you guys actually decide for real, like, I'm going to go pursue this as a profession? I think it was 2015. Um, I remember the couple years prior, right when, before the Shield debuted, I decided, because I fell out of love with wrestling. I think that happens when you go to college and you're just kind of, you're distracted with other stuff. Yep. So I remember right before the Shield debuted, I, was, I, made the, I just like make these decisions. I'm like, I think I'm going to start watching wrestling again. So I started watching it. Uh, the first WWE 24 documentary was Seth Rollins. I remember sitting in my living room in, in Minnesota. I watched that. I got goosebumps that day. And then I told my girlfriend at the time, I was like, I need to do this. I need to do this. If I don't do this, I'm going to regret something in my life. I need to find a school. I need to become a wrestler. And from that day, I just found a school. I ended up moving, but I actually found MCW and then... It was off to the races from there. I, I just made that decision that I had to go for this and try to live out this dream. Otherwise, I wasn't going to be happy with life. And, and Moses, before I get to you, um, so what were you doing at that time? You, you were in the, the quote unquote, the shoot world, I guess, at that point. So um, what, what was, your, what was your, your real job, so to speak? So at that time, I was just finishing up grad school in graphic design, and I was working at a design agency making like med tech branding so doing logos and websites for medical companies back in minnesota um at that point i was only working there for about a year and i already hated it and i hated the grind of waking up taking the bus to work going home having no time to really work out spend time with my girlfriend at the time and then go to sleep and do it every day i was just i was fed up with that life already so i'm um, i'm just trying to picture um your family uh your You've got an education and, a, and, a, and a, a good job, I guess, a good job. You weren't, I say good job as in a stable job, not a job that you particularly loved, yeah. but a nice stable job. Uh, were your parents supportive of you pursuing this wrestling dream or were they like, you're crazy, just stick with what you're doing? Uh, my dad had no opinion. Give context with that, he's from Cameroon. He's a web producer, what does he do now? He's a computer engineer now. He doesn't really care what I do with my life. He's just like, as long as you're happy, that's, I'm cool. 
My mom, on the other hand, she's very like logical and rational. So she's like, well, what about health insurance? That's the first thing she says to me. It's yeah. like, if you get a job here, do they have health insurance? What about your, what happens if you get hurt? Like, I, I don't care. Like, I, if I, I can live the, that's why I got an education. She made me go to college. So that was my backup plan. So then if I go fully pursue my career in wrestling, if it doesn't work out, this is why I went to school. I could just fall back on that. Right. So she, I guess she was supportive, but she was always just like apprehensive because she, it's like such a wild thing to say, I'm to become a professional wrestler. People don't really believe that's a, an attainable thing to do. Right. You do it and then you shove it in their face and be like, look what I did. <laughs> so Moses, what's, what's, what's your story as far as uh, pursuing wrestling? Honestly, this is one of the things that like grew me and Khan together because our paths to wrestling are very similar. Um, I remember in high school telling my older sister, I was watching wrestling. She was watching it too. She wasn't really paying any attention, but I was like, I want to do that for a living. And she was like, you're going to college. And I said, but this is what I want to do. And she was like, you're going to college. So between her and my mom, I, all right, fine. I'll go to college. I went to college, graduated, came home in 2012. Um, I became a school teacher. I was a school teacher for a year. Um, but in that time, like, I, I was missing something. I was like, I truly missed something because I had watched wrestling all the way up till high school. Then I went to college and I colleged. I colleged. Uh, but then after that, I came home and I was like, so I go to work, I go to the gym, and then I just sit at home. So after teaching, I went and I got a, uh, I was a uh, financial analyst for the Navy. And I was like, man, this is boring. Because I'm still just going to work, going to the gym, and then coming home. And I was missing something. And so then around 2014, I was like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to find something that I truly love to do because I can't see myself being this bored and not happy with myself for the next 30 years, just to say that I get a 401k, et cetera. So I started a job where I was an um, intelligence analyst and I started that job in the first week of June. I started MCW the very next week. I did my research. I went down, I met RJ um, and he was like, am I going to see you on Tuesday? So this was on a Saturday. Um, he's like, am I going to see you on Tuesday? And I said, absolutely. And from that day, I have not been happier. Um, and I just dedicated myself to it because what a lot of people don't understand, there is a financial investment that you have to put forth into wrestling. There's also a time commitment that you have to put forth into wrestling. I was... So I was like, I'm going to give this everything I got because what I was doing, I was just bored. So I was work. So this entire time, even to this day and con too, we both still work our shoot jobs. Every, every day we would train, we would shoot job during the day, train in the afternoon, shoot job during the day, train at the noon. Sometimes we have to take off the travel, but we still do our shoots during the day and we still shoot during the week. And then we still do our uh, wrestling on the weekend. Did you guys but have that's to like go ahead. say it again? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was like, and to me, like, it's just um, wrestling, as we know, at, at this level, we're not afforded health insurance. So I'm not willing to give up my day job 
because I have health insurance. I have a 401k. I'm able to pay my bills, but I still get paid with wrestling. But if something ever happens, I'm okay. For IE, literally on Khan's first or second day training MCW, I tore my meniscus. Thank God I had my shoe job and I had insurance. I didn't have to pay that much. Even though I still had to pay a little bit, I didn't have to pay that much out of pocket. So there is a benefit in me having to go to college, getting that degree, and that degree turning into something that made sure I had insurance while I was chasing my dream. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think both you guys, you know, there's something to be said for chasing your dreams, and there's also something to be said for being practical. And it sounds like you guys had the perfect mix of, of both. And, uh, again, I, mean, I, I applaud you guys for, for doing that. Um, you said that you're Moses. You said your shoot job. You're an intelligence analyst. Can you expound mm-hmm. on that, or are you sworn to see, or would you have to? Uh, I don't know. Tell me and then tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So my degree from college is in mathematical sciences, and I'm very good with math and patterns, and I can just leave it at that. Okay. All right. Well, let me ask you guys this. Obviously, you guys are both athletic. Did you have? formal athletic backgrounds did you play other sports growing up I did I did everything well before college I did everything from track basketball baseball soccer um, I kind of focused when I got into high school in football and track and then I ended up playing fo- college football at a d3 school didn't really actually care for football I just I think I played for like the camaraderie and the teammates but otherwise I've constantly just been involved in something my whole life yeah, um, I played soccer from elementary school until middle school. But as I got older, toward the latter years, going to middle school, um, I was knocking all the kids over, and I was getting carded every game. And so I was like, oh, this is for the birds. So that's when I started football when I was in high school, which was much better. I didn't, I don't get carded for hitting people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in high school, I played football all four years. I was uh did high school wrestling, Roman Greco wrestling for for my sophomore year through my senior year and I did shot put my last two years. Uh, college I didn't play any sports. I just went to college to college. Um, but actually when I got when I graduated college and came back home, I did uh Brazilian Jiu Jitsu until uh I started training for pro, pro wrestling. Okay. Yeah, you threw me off there when you said soccer because uh Man, I, I would have bet anything that you were a football player. And, you know, I could see the football. I could <laughs> see the shot put. I could see the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I, I got to be honest, I don't see you on a soccer field. I don't know. Maybe you uh, – maybe when you when you were younger. So my you're dad – Well, you're not quite as big as you are now? I don't know. Were you, you're not bigger than the other kids? Or maybe you were. That's why you got carded all the time. Yeah, I was always bigger than the other kids. I was always the biggest – I might not have been the tallest, but I was always the biggest kid on the team. Um. And I, I mean, eventually you can run around, but so much, but when we get close quarters, I'm going to body you. That's just point blank. simple. And then eventually they put me as goalie so that I can't knock people around too much. Um, but um, my dad actually played college in soccer. I mean, he, he played soccer in college um, and he became a coach. And so that's what got me into soccer. Okay. He was my coach growing up. Yeah, I could just picture you playing soccer and the football coach going, hey, wait a minute. Get this kid off the <laughs> soccer field. Put some pads on him. <laughs> Actually, my parents did not want me to play football. Even when I got to high school, they were like, I don't really know if I want you to do that. But I was like, I, I'm not playing soccer. I'm not going to keep getting carded every game. 
well, you guys both ended up, uh, obviously, as we talked about at the MCW Pro Wrestling Training Center. What were your first impressions of, of training? Was it, I mean, obviously you both said this is something you wanted to do, but once you get in there and you start hitting the ropes and you start learning the basics and was it harder than you thought it would be or was it about what you expected? It's kind of what I expected. Prior to going there, yeah. I went to Sky Zone to practice bumping and I'd watch like, there's a clip on YouTube of MCW training. I think like Patrick is bumping and I'm watching everyone bump. So I was teaching myself how to bump at Sky Zone to the trampoline park prior. Uh, I think when you get there, the physical stuff, for, at least for us, because we're athletes, was easy. I think it's the storytelling and the drama of actually wrestling and, and match psychology, which is like throws you through a whirlwind. That's, I think, the hardest part to learn. It's people people want to imitate the moves they see, but it's like the story behind that, the drama. How can you really pull people in and, and sell and put heat on people and not do a bunch of moves and slow yourself down? That was the hard part. Right. That's, that's the art of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the psychology. It's the storytelling. As you said, anybody can go in there and do a bunch of spots. Yep. And um, we see a lot of that in, in modern wrestling, especially when you see that in indie wrestling. But yeah, you, what you're talking about is, is, is the art form of mm-hmm. it, uh, for sure. And I just should, should mention, when you mentioned Patrick, you're talking about Patrick Clark, right? Yep. Who fans will yes. know as the Velveteen Dream. Yes. Yes. Another graduate of the MCW Pro, Pro Wrestling Training Center, along with uh, Leo Rush and uh, yeah, a bunch of guys that are in uh, uh, in Future of Honor right now that we'll probably be seeing on TV uh, at some point. Uh, Moses, your your early impressions of of training. Um, I knew it was going to be uh, physical, but I mean, I had came in knowing that. So the running, the conditioning, that wasn't anything new. No one told me what it'd be like running the ropes and learning that for the first time because that actually did hurt. Uh, until like your back gets used to hitting those ropes, like learning to bump is one thing, but those ropes they sucked the first couple weeks. But after that, it was fine. But just like Khan said, like learning the storytelling, learning to do moves because they mean something, not just to do moves because oh, it'll be cool if we do this here. Oh, it'd be cool if we do that. Well, okay, it's cool, but like, how does this progress in the, the, the story that you're trying to tell? So to me, like to this day, that's still the hardest part. Like you, you can learn a move in less than, less than 15 minutes. That's fine, but that's one move and a, a match is usually anywhere from eight to 15. So, okay, you took a, you, you took a five second thing. What are you going to do for the rest of the time? So that's the, that, that was the part that was like, why isn't this part easy? Right. You know, like, why, why can't this part? But that also shows you why some guys are on TV and some guys are not. You know, the guys who are really, really good, they're really, really good at telling stories. And to keep you in, and, and to keep the fan interested. And that's something that RJ and Dean would preach to us is like, what are you doing that's keeping their attention? And to this day, that's something that we constantly think about when we're getting ready to go out there and have a match. You mentioned RJ and Dean, just for people who aren't familiar with, uh, with the Maryland wrestling scene. RJ Meyer, uh, the head trainer at MCW. Um, Dean Gutridge, is, uh, who wrestled on the independents as, uh, as Tyler Hilton, uh, another uh, great trainer there at MCW. Uh, as people may or may not know, um, RJ, who wrestled as the bruiser, uh, 
sadly uh, passed away recently. Um, and I know that has really shaken the entire Maryland wrestling community. I know it's affected you guys, it's affected all of us, you know, who knew RJ. Um, I want to talk more about RJ though. So I'm going to take another quick break and we come back. We'll have more with SOS uh, right after this. Friday, December 18th at 9 p.m., Ring of Honor Wrestling presents Final Battle on Pay-Per-View. After months of darkness, a new era of honor has risen from the ashes. See ROH athletes such as the new pure champion Jonathan Gresham, EC3, the Briscoe Brothers, plus Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, and many more. Find out why honor has always been real. Friday, December 18th at 9 p.m., it's Final Battle on Pay-Per-View. All right, we are back on the RH Strong podcast. My guests today are SOS, Moses and Khan. Uh, right before we went to the break, we mentioned uh, RJ Meyer, who was your trainer. Uh, not only your trainer, I know a friend uh, of, of both of you, a friend of mine. Um, he wrestled as the Bruiser uh, in Maryland Championship Wrestling. Anyone who's listening to this in Maryland, uh, Bruiser needs no introduction. Uh, he was heart and soul of MCW. He was the biggest star in MCW. And in addition to all that, he was the head trainer at the school. Uh, some of his students, uh, as, we, as we mentioned, in addition to you guys, uh, Velveteen Dream, Patrick Clark, Leo Rush, who was the Ring of Honor 2016 top prospect winner. Uh, Ashante Adonis, I believe is his name now. He was formerly Tahuti Miles, uh, another one who came through, uh, and, and, and a bunch of people at the uh, at the future of honor. And he also had a, had a hand in the early days of training uh, Lita and, and Mickey James uh, when they were just starting out. Uh, but I, I, as, as I mentioned, RJ um, had been battling leukemia for about, I guess, the past year and a half. And, um, and sadly, uh, RJ uh, passed away uh, just recently. Um, can you, and I know we're, it hasn't happened that long. As we're recording this, it's only been um, it's been less than a week, um, so I know it's difficult, but c can you guys just uh, talk about RJ as your trainer, um, RJ also just as, as a person and, and what he meant to you guys? RJ was um, one of a kind. He's a guy, the second he walked in the door, you almost like stood at attention, you know, like that's the respect that he, you know, that he garnered. Um, he was a guy who he'll watch your match or he'll watch him practice. He wouldn't just tell you, oh, that was good. No, he would literally tell you, he would shoot you straight. Like, no, I didn't like this. I didn't like this, but I did like that. And this is how you need to fix it. Um, he gets the utmost respect, but he also respects you. He demanded a lot out of you, but it's because he knows what it takes to succeed. He knew what it took to succeed in this business. And, and going back to when Khan started, like I said, I tore my meniscus on like his first or second day. And literally when I started coming back after my injury, Khan was the one who came to me and asked me, hey, dude, do you want to tag? Because at that point in time, it was, he was going to be a singles. I was, I was already a singles. 
But I was just like, hey, hey, why not? And so we took it to RJ and Dean. We let them must on it for a little bit. And then they were like, yeah, we'll give it a shot. And the first time we got in there, we had not a clue what tag team wrestling was, what to do. And literally, it would be days where at practice, they would put us in a separate ring and they would just keep cycling in guys and they taught us tag wrestling. They just kept hounding tag. We would get chewed out day after day after day after day. But it hit home. Like it, it got it got into us that like we can do this. He would he would break you down, but he would build you back up. He didn't have to put that that extra side time in, but when he sees something that has potential and he sees that the guys have the hunger to make it work, he will give you all that he has. If it wasn't for him and Dean giving us opportunity, they gave us an MCW we would not be where we are today. Literally, he would watch our match from Ring of Honor. He would critique him, but he was like, I'm proud of you guys. When we went and did the tryout, he literally called us and was like, I'm proud of both of you. And I literally, the tryout was in 2018. So that was like literally a year after they put us together. So a year after him and Dean spending day after day just preaching to us you guys are you're trying to do too much this is not tag team wrestling day after day he poured his heart into everything when he would wrestle he would give you his all like when he's in the back and he's like talking to you about your match you would look him in his eye and you can just see like he cared he cared about the product of mcw he cared about his students he wanted everybody to succeed. And when you didn't, he would tell you what you needed to do. Like I said, he was a straight shooter. And I cannot appreciate, I really do appreciate everything that he did, everything that he is, everything that he was. His legacy will never be forgotten because RJ was literally the best coach that I've ever had in my life. Well said. Uh, Con, what, what, are, what are your impressions? I think the biggest thing about RJ was he just truly cared about us. Like Moses said, basically with my thoughts are, but he, he truly cared about us and seeing how much time he spent with us. I remember one of the matches that we came back, back to the curtain, because like I looked at him like a dad in a sense. And I looked at him and I was just waiting for him to chew us out. And he was like, no, you guys did pretty good. And I looked, I looked at Moses like, wait, what, what? Because <laughs> he just said that we did good and we never do good in his eyes. So. Yeah. <laughs> right right <laughs> just shows that his teaching his coaching that him and dean the time and effort they put into us was really paying off so i remember going to mcw before moses and i were tagging and i would just show early working and rj just adding me with the crew and putting that time into me with then like do you want to become a machine do you want to become one of these monsters here and like sure i was terrified of this man at first <laughs> And just to see how much our relationship has grown from some like novice beginner wrestler to looking at him like a dad. I've, I've gone through some personal losses while I've been wrestling and him even taking the time to call and text me to make sure that I'm okay. And I never really gotten that from a coach before. So he was so much more than that for so many of us there. And like moving forward, like we are the ones that are going to help maintain his legacy and 
carry that through because we're helping coach now at MCW a little bit. And, like, we're going to maintain his legacy, his hard work, his ethic, and everything he's instilled in us. We have to, we have to carry that through our careers. Yeah, I couldn't have put it any better. In fact, I, I was going to say exactly that, that his legacy uh, will carry on. Um, with his with his students, guys like you, some of the other people we mentioned, what you guys do in this business, and then the people that you inspire, and the people that you guys, as you said, you're starting to train some of the MCW kids now. Um, that all goes back to RJ, and so his legacy is uh, intact. Uh, there's no question about that. And I know being around him, um, everything that you said, I know I can attest to because he was. He's a tough, I mean, RJ's a tough guy. There's no doubt about it. And he was very demanding. He demanded a lot of you. He demanded your best, your best effort. And uh, he would kick you in the ass to make sure that he got his best effort from you. But I know the, the pride that he took um, in you guys and, and all of his students, it was genuine. And, you know, he, I don't know if he ever said this to you guys, but he would talk about you and Leo and Patrick, like as you were his kids and referred to you guys as his kids. And he really did take pride in you as a father would his, his kids. So that was all, that was all genuine. I, I think the, the real shame of things with um, is that, you know, RJ never got, RJ should have been bigger than just in Maryland. Mm -hmm. and I don't know if he shared his story with you, he probably has, but RJ was somewhat of a prodigy himself. I mean, he started, I think he was trained by Axel Rotten and uh, uh, a guy named Dan McDevitt, who obviously we all know, but uh, he wrestled, uh, he had a little cup of coffee in MCW and did some extra work, um, not in MCW, uh, ECW, and did some extra work in WWE, but another Maryland guy, he's the co-owner of MCW. Uh, they broke RJ in at a time when, Training's a little bit different then than it is now. And I'm, I don't know mm -hmm. if RJ ever shared those stories with you, but Axel mm -hmm. and Dan basically beat the hell out of him every day. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's the mentality that he had because, you know, they wanted to see if he had the toughness and if he had the heart for it. And obviously you, you're not going to do that today in today's training, but he did bring that, that toughness and that um, not only the physical toughness, but the mental toughness. And, and he really wanted to know who had the heart for this and who had the real desire for it. And if you showed him that you had it um, and you guys did, then yeah, he would be your advocate, you know? And, um, and I know he, he did, he, he really took pride in, in everyone's successes, but RJ, as he said, you know, I'm not telling stories out of school. When he was younger, he had some personal demons that he had to battle and it really derailed his career, unfortunately. And he never, you know, I think everybody thought early on RJ would get signed to a national company and he would be a star. And it didn't happen because he had those personal demons. But he came to terms with that and he turned him, you know, eventually he turned his life around, um, got his demons under control and became a coach. And he said to me one time that, you know, it just wasn't in the cards for him to be a rest, to be a big time national wrestling star. But his destiny was to teach the next generation and to create, create stars. And I think he took as much pride or maybe more pride in having a role in helping guys like you reach your dreams than if he had reached his own dreams. And I think that's, I, I think that's just who RJ, that's who RJ was. And, uh, you know, again, everybody, all of us uh, in Maryland and the Maryland wrestling scene and so many Maryland wrestling fans, uh, 
they all know who RJ is and they all love RJ. Uh, they, you know, they loved him as the bruiser, but I think they loved RJ as well. And, uh, and I just wish more people outside of Maryland really um, know how much he has contributed to this business. But every time people watch you and some of those other people we mentioned, they are watching RJ's handiwork. Definitely. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, well, let me, and I know that's a tough conversation for all of us because it's, uh, those wounds are still, are still fresh. Um, so let me ask you guys about uh, your opportunity with ROH. It, it, you, you went to a, a tryout and was it a seminar or try, how did you first get on the radar with ROH? Uh, we did a tryout in was it august 2018 i think so yeah uh, it was a two-day tryout i i honestly in 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 my five years of being in this business that was the longest two days of my damn life man <laughs> i'm like not only are you you know you're you're in a new environment it's a competition you know because it's opportunity to come train at the dojo that's the only gear that's damn in front of you but you're there with 30 other guys and girls who are trying to get the few spots that they have available. They make you stay there in gear all day, every day. And I don't know if people understand, but the second wrestlers get to the back after the match, we take our gear off. It is not something that you just lounge around in that you want to be in for 10 plus hours in a day but they made us stay in full gear both days saturday and sunday um and so the first day we did in-ring drills then we did promos and then we did matches we got critiqued all three came back the next day we fixed what they wanted us to do did the same thing and then afterwards that's when they let us know they let us know and then they let uh Ashanti Adonis know, along with um, O'Shea Edwards. Yeah. He got invited. Um, the uh, Primal Fear. Primal Fear got invited. There was another guy from Atlanta that got invited too. And I think that's that's all they got invited out of that tryout move. So that, yeah, that's out of how many people was it now? I want to say it had to have been 20 to 30 people because we got split up into two groups of, I think, like 15 or 16. So, so eventually you guys um, become the first official signees of ROH's new developmental system. Um, they kind of relaunched things at the dojo and you were the first two guys to put pen to paper. Um, mm -hmm. What did that mean to you to actually, again, it, it wasn't a very long journey. Um, to, to get to that point relatively quickly, um, you know, when some people toil on the independence for years and years and years and years, uh, what did that mean to you actually, you know, putting on a suit and sitting down and, and signing that contract? For me, that was super surreal. Uh, just because wrestling to me is still kind of surreal. I have to remind myself and, and Moses too, like, hey, we're, we're, we're doing this and we get paid to wrestle. Like, that's real. <laughs> Um, and just like the opportunity with that alone too. I remember we had to surrender our titles at MCW and we were leaving this place where I felt so comfortable. 
MCW is such a family atmosphere. Love working there. And then we were on a dominant run, we never lost. And then we're, we're giving that up to go into the unknown. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me was scary, but it was a huge opportunity and it was the next level to make a huge name in this business and an impact. I, I totally agree. Like it's to this day, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, yo, you are a signed professional wrestler. After being in the business for five years, like when we were informed that they were signing us, I was just like, yo, is this, am I really reading this right now? <laughs> like, is this for real? Like, and then I, I get the contract. Hey, yeah, this is real. Like, <laughs> you know, like having the contract read through it. And I'm just like, wow. The thing that I told myself in 2014 that I'm going to be serious about and go achieve, I've at least said that hey, I've signed my first professional wrestling contract. And not a lot of guys can say that after only being in the business for three years at that, at that time. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. And uh, I said, it's been kind of cool for me just, um, you know, knowing you guys when you literally first walked in the door at MCW and, uh, and to see you now, you know, I got to tell you, I swell up with pride a little bit. Not that I had anything to do with anything, but just watching you guys on TV against the Briscoes. I'm like, yeah, man, I know those guys. They gave me the, the friggin' doomsday device. <laughs> All right. That's my claim to fame. All right. Well, man, a- outstanding conversation. Uh, we're going to take our final break. And then when we come back, if you guys are willing, we're going to play a little game that we call 10 Questions. I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guests are the soldiers of savagery, Moses and Khan. It is time to play 10 questions. Gentlemen, are you ready? Ready. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. Okay, well, since there's two of you, this is usually the way I do it with tag teams. Um, I'm actually going to ask five questions, but I'll get 10 answers. So I'll give you, I'll ask, I'll ask you guys the same question. So five questions, 10 answers. So question number one, Moses, you go first. What's something on your bucket list? In wrestling or in life? Either one. Um, hmm. Oh, I want to skydive. Duh. But at 300 pounds, it's a little difficult. Do you know PJ Black very well? I do know PJ, but PJ <laughs> isn't 300 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He could probably set you up, though. Man, I, I truly believe that. Okay. <laughs> Con, what's on your bucket list? I want to go to New Zealand, and I want to go see where they film Lord of the Rings, because I'm a nerd. Mm. Wow, that is a very nerdy thing. Not that there's anything wrong with being, not anything wrong with that. That's fine. All right, question number two. Con, you go first on this one. 
If you could have a conversation with anyone, past or present, living or dead, who would it be? I think it would be this painter, Basquiat. Um, he's actually the first African-American artist that I found when I was studying fine art and design. So he passed away in his early 20s, I think, having sitting down and having a conversation about like his pop art style because it's so iconic now and has never been replicated. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Okay. Moses, same question. I would like to have a conversation with Barack Obama. Yeah. I would like to have I, I, I would like to have that conversation myself. <laughs> All right, question number three. Moses, you're up first on this one. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Um music. Okay. Do you and have a history behind it? Okay. Are you are you do you come from a musical background at all, or just you have an interest in it? Um, well, I, you know, I was on the gospel choir in college, and I came up um, raised semi raised in the church. But um, as I learned history, music is always a big part of history. You know, I've always wanted to know the origins of music and why music is always a big part of history. Okay. Khan, same question. I think astronomy. Uh, there's just so much that we don't know about the universe and the planet itself and what else is out in the sky and the stars. I think I've never taken one of those classes before, so I'd, I'm definitely curious to know more about it. You really are a bit of a nerdy kind of geek type of guy, aren't you? I'm into some weird <laughs> stuff. <laughs> That's good. All right. Uh, question number four. Khan, do you have any hidden talents? Something that you're good at that we don't know about? Hidden talents? Uh, I mean, I guess I've been talking about my design and art career. Uh, mm -hmm. I was actually really good at painting and sculpting in school. And that's something that I would have wanted to do, but I probably didn't get into wrestling. was like sculpt action figures. Okay. Very cool. Moses, what's your hidden talent or talents? Um, well, I'm a big gamer, something that I don't really talk about a lot. Um, while we were in quarantine, I picked up Madden for the first time in like six years, and I'm ranked, um, so I'm hoping to keep that that title. Uh, but some, like, at growing up, I was really big into Legos, and I like putting together massive sets. So like, if you give me if there was ever an, a time where I can get like a 5,000 plus piece Lego set, like don't look for me for a couple of days and I will get that done. <laughs> All right. Well, man, I don't know if I'd have the, the patience for that, but that's... <laughs> you do have to have a lot of patience. You got to have a lot of patience for that. All right. This is our final question. Question number five, Moses. Who is or was your celebrity crush? Could be when you were younger, could be now. You decide. Oh, that's easy. Carrie Champion. Okay. She was a she used to be an ESPN analyst on Sports Center. And on uh she used to be a moderator for first take. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Khan, celebrity crush. This is ironic. I was literally just asked this question yesterday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really? By who? That's not a question you get every day. Uh, I can't really talk about why I was asked that question at school. <laughs> 
Uh, celebrity crush. I think back in the day it was Lisa Bonet from the Cosby Show. Oh, mm, for yeah. sure. And now it's it's her daughter Zoe Kravitz. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> the vibe that they have, I'm I'm into it. Is that weird? The mother and the daughter thing? Is that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. All right. Wait a minute. You must have watched reruns. You're not old enough to watch the Cosby Show in its first run. Oh, there yeah, we were. Really? Yeah, we were when we were like four and five. That's when the Cosby Show was in like ninety three, ninety four. That was sort of the tail end of the Cosby. Show. I was gonna say it started in like eighty five, I think. Yeah, so we call it the tail end when some of the like Lisa Bonet was no longer on the show. Okay, and like the kids were more grown up. But that that show was on TV all the time. Oh, yeah, constantly. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Angel Heart? I have not. I have uh, not. If you like Lisa. If, Trust me, you want to seek that one out if you like Lisa Bonet. <laughs> Trust me on that's the best piece of advice I can give you guys. Is that the one that she did while she was on the Cosby Show? And yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I know uh, why. Okay. Mickey Rourke is in that movie, and yeah, uh, yeah Nero. Speaking of Mickey Rourke, did one of the best movies that wrestlers have ever seen to this day. Yep. A wrestler. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The wrestler oh, is such a true movie. But you know how the it's very polarizing. Is. It's it, very polarizing. Some people in the business <laughs> I don't know why. I like Jim Cornette hates it. I know that for a fact. <laughs> um, you know, when I worked at WWE, it, it, I knew Vince McMahon hated it. He didn't really? like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. But but a lot of people do love it. I thought it was great. I thought it was pretty awesome. And, and isn't it cool that Ring of Honor is is featured in that in that movie? Yeah, he did a lot yeah. of stuff in the Ring of Honor ring and at ROH shows. Yep. Pretty cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey man, I, I I really enjoyed uh, the conversation today. Before I let you guys go, uh, do you have any social media information you want to give out? Where can people follow you? Uh, on Instagram, I'm at the period con, and then on Twitter, the con t h e k a u n. And for me on Instagram, it's prolific period Moses. And on Twitter, it's Prolific Moses. All right, very good. Hey, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate uh, giving me so much of your time today. It was a uh, uh, great conversation. I'm glad we got to uh, talk about RJ and, and and your guys' careers. And uh, you know, upwards and onwards, you guys. I see. I see only bigger things in the future. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Remember, a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and on most podcast platforms. Keep it locked on to ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe, everyone. And let's all be ROH strong.